The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, January 6th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. For those who don't know me, my name is Raymond and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. It's, just, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Hopefully I have the chance to meet you if you're, if you're new. Uh, it's neat to see some, some folks who are here visiting with us. Um, it's a new year. We're going we're gonna to start and try and do something a little bit new here. So if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and open those up. That's not new, of course. But we're going to read a, an entire book of the Bible this morning. So with that lofty goal, we don't want to waste any time. Go, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of 2 John. 2 John. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there. 2 John. The rest of you will get it when you get there. That's all right. Book of 2 John. We're actually starting a new series here that we'll, we'll be doing this month, the month of January. And we're calling it Small Letters, because the letters are really short and small. Small letters, but big truths. In fact, these, these letters are so small, they're so short, that they, they each contain, as they were originally written, they each contain fewer than 250 words. These are the two shortest letters in the New Testament, 2 John and 3 John. We're going to take our time walking through those verse by verse. One, one commentator said these things are so short. This guy named Danny Aiken, he said they're so short that today we might refer to them as postcard epistles. All right, so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to be amazed at just how much truth and wisdom God can actually pack into one little postcard. So go with me again to 2 John let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll read that letter in its entirety, and then we'll see what else God wants to say this morning. Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would speak through your word, and that our minds would be relatively free from distraction, at least for most of us. And for, for those who are parents of young children, who have those young children with them, Lord, we just ask that you would bless them. We, we don't even ask that you would free them from distractions, because we, we know how that works. But help them to hear your word even in the midst of those other things that should occupy their attention. We, we ask, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to be moved and changed in the way that you desire. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Second John, starting in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have had from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we or what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. 
everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Lord, again, open our ears and our hearts to understand what you want us to take from at least a portion of this letter we would, we would examine together today. We ask all of that in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You can tell people you have read an entire book of the Bible already this year. Don't tell them what it was. I've, just, I've read an entire book of the Bible already this year, and it will be a true statement. Now, here's, here's what I want to do. Uh, let me lay out what we're going to do over the next four weeks in this series, but then let me, let me focus our attention after that on what we'll examine today. And we're just going to look at the first three verses of 2 John today, all right? So the opening, or what they call the salutation of the letter, those first three verses. As we go through the rest of the series, though, we're going to see the Apostle John reminding us of some things that should always be priorities for the Christian and for the churches that belong to Jesus Christ, including Redemption Hill. And he uses different phrases, and I'll walk you through it here. But in, in verse 4 of 2 John, we can see the priority of the, the progress of the truth. The progress of the truth in the church or in believers. And, and the way that John speaks about it there is he says, I, I found some of your children walking in the truth. You know, there's a walk going on. As you go through life, we're actually making progress toward a destination or a goal that God intends for us. We're walking slowly, surely, and steadily in the truth toward the place that God would have us end up, which is like Christ. Okay, So there's the progress of the truth in the church. Secondly, verse 5, we see the practice of the truth by the church. So when he calls us to love one another, we're reminded there that truth is not something for the Christian which remains up here, but it is something that we, we put into practice and it is evidence, the belief in the truth is evidenced by the practice of the truth, which is love. All right, and he defines that for us there, and we'll come to that later. So not only the progress of the truth in the church, the practice of the truth by the church, but number three, you can see as we read the preservation of the truth for the church, both present and future. So in verse 7 through 11 here of 2 John, you can see some of that. There were false teachers going out and saying all kinds of things that were knocking people off course, and the Apostle John came in with a word of correction to keep the church on its proper course and to protect them from that, that, that message being diluted or, or changed and perverted. So there is the progress of the truth in the church, the practice of the truth by the church, the preservation of the truth for the church, and, and as we get to, to third John, we'll see in there the priority of the proclamation of the truth to the rest of the world. All right, the proclamation of the truth through the church to the rest of the world. So today, again, as we, I'll lay all that out, but we won't do all of that today. We're just going to look at the first three verses. We're just going to walk through it one phrase, one verse at a time, and just kind of leave here today with a couple of things that I think God wants to emphasize for us. So do that with me. Let's go back to the top of our passage there in Second John, 
verse 1, and the Apostle John begins with these two words. Everybody say them together. The elder. Now, usually, the opening of the letter would identify whoever the sender is. Typically, though, if you've read through the Bible and you've read Paul's letters or other people's letters, they usually put their own name in there, yes? Or Paul will say something like, the apostle. Paul the apostle. That's the title he will give to himself. Notice what John does here. He does not put his name. And the title he chooses is what? Elder. As opposed to apostle. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because I don't really know what exactly was in John's mind at the time. But here's what I do know. I think it's very interesting that he leaves his name out and instead of apostle, he puts elder. See, apostle connotes a sense of authority and leadership position over the churches, correct? The term elder is a little bit different. It, it still refers to a position of authority if we're talking about the office, which is, I think, exactly what's going on here. And I won't, I won't explain exactly why I think this is talking about the office versus just Paul being, or, or John being an old man. No, yes, I will, because you guys look like you want me to do that. All right, so... There's another word, if, Paul, if John just wanted to say he was an old man, he could have used a different word that's similar to this Greek word, but, but slightly different, okay? It would, he could have used the Greek word presbytes instead of presbyteros that he uses here. So that word, presbytes, you can actually find in Philemon verse 9, where Paul is talking to Philemon and says, I, Paul, an old man, am appealing to you for my son Onesimus. Paul, or rather John, could have used that same word here if all he wanted to talk about was his age. But he chooses the term that we often use to represent an officer, someone who occupies the office of elder in a local church, someone who is an overseer. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 uses that word to talk about the overseers. All right, so this is a term we would apply to the eight overseers of Redemption Hill Church or anyone that serves in that capacity for another church, okay? Didn't mean to say that. Took a little time. But they're, they're, we're not just making stuff up up here. How about that, right? But you can see John uses this term, and, and I like the term elder because it's a relationship term. It, it says that he is part of the church that he's speaking to. He's got a nearness of relationship to them. Even if he, at the time, is separated from them by distance, there, there's a real relationship and a history of relationship there. And he says the elder. He doesn't even have to give his name. They know who it is the elder to the elect lady. And I want to say that this morning because we as pastors and elders here, as overseers, we want you all to know that. That we're, we're not just uh, instructors brought in. We're not just here to teach true things from the Bible. I mean, that, that is a huge part of what we do. But we, we, we have a real relationship to you guys that's formed by God. And so we want you to know that, that it's, it's right for you. And don't think you're bothering us, but Man, something's going on, and, and it's, it's a thing that we can join you in prayer over. You're, you're sick. You know, we will come to your home. We'll, we'll visit you in the hospital. We will we'll come and we'll pray for you. We, we can't always fix everything. Some of you had no problem believing that. You've been here for a while. <laughs> there you go. We don't promise to be able to fix everything, but we will try as we're able to provide presence, uh, perspective, and prayer at the very least, you know. So please, please know that, that that's part of how we, we see our role as elders, and we want you to, to see us that way. Then John moves on after talking about himself being the elder, and he, he identifies the people he's writing to. And what does he say? 
He says to the everybody? Elect lady. I want you to focus on those two words really quickly. Because there, there are some things that I think God wants to emphasize for us in those two words. Now, when you read them, you just read them, elect lady, there's nothing special about either one of those two words per se. It's like I recognize that word, lady, elect. I kind of know what they mean. Elect has to do with choosing. Lady has to do with a woman. But for some reason, when you put those words in the Bible, they have the potential all of a sudden to create an incredibly large offense. Now, I'm, I'm saying this and pointing it out because you and I live in a time right now where, have you noticed, people, people seem very quickly and easily offended by, by various words. I mean, have you noticed this? Anybody? All right, so I'm not alone up here. All right, and look, I, I don't want to make light of anybody's response or reaction to something that triggers them. I mean, there could be a whole history behind that, and I, if you're here this morning and you are maybe quickly offended by certain words, I, I'm, I'm not trying to single you out and, and say something's entirely wrong. But, but here's what I, I do want to say to us this morning. That word lady, well, I'll just put it in the category of gendered language. We often come across this in the Bible. Gendered language, metaphors or analogies used to describe a particular thing that has spiritual significance, right? So here, John is writing to the church, and he refers to the church by this metaphor, and he, he uses the word lady. So, so let me ask a question. Should, should the men in the room be offended this morning that that term leaves them out? Right, notice I didn't ask, are the men offended? That would be, that would be different. But should they be offended? Now, and stick with me here. Because there's another way to approach that, right? Instead of feeling left out, and we typically as a culture, we don't worry about men feeling left out, right? I, I started there because the term here in the text is lady. But we, we typically worry more about women feeling left out, right? When we talk about gendered language and things not being inclusive enough. But, but you'll find throughout the Bible that not only here where the church is referred to as a lady or Ephesians 5 where the, the picture is used of a husband to his bride and the entire church is pictured as a bride. I mean, it, it's tough sometimes, right, Timus, for, for a guy to, man, I'm part of the bride. Right, but it would be another thing for Timus to get offended at the Christian faith and at the Bible because that's the language God chose. It would still be another thing for him to lose confidence in the inspiration of the Bible. Uh, there's no way God could have said this because it left me out. Well, I, I, would, I would say slow down before you allow any of your questions to become conclusions. Right? L look at Isaiah chapter 49. Look at Isaiah chapter 49. And I'm watching my clock. I'm going to try to get you out of here by noon. But Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. God actually speaks about himself in, in another way. I don't know how many of us are familiar with this passage, but... I thought this was interesting. Isaiah chapter 49, starting in verse 14, the Lord says there, Zion said, that's a nickname for Israel, Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And then through Isaiah, the Lord responds, wait, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the summer, uh, son of her womb? 
And then he goes and says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So, so here, God likens himself to a nursing mother. Right? Gendered language in pictures. God at times reveals himself through that one picture to make a particular point. I'm not going to forget you. I mean, that mom's not going to forget her child. And even if that were possible, uh, there's no way I'm going to forget you. Right? But we wouldn't, we wouldn't take that and do what some are doing today. We wouldn't take that and say we should begin to refer to God as the heavenly mother. You all understand the difference? Because God has chosen to reveal himself, and Jesus over 165 times in the gospel says the father, the father, the father, the father. And that, that is what God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Do you see what I mean? And so we, we have an option at this point. We can, either, we can either hear that and say, well, that does offend me and I feel excluded. Or, or we can take the position that God must know what he's doing and, and he's revealing himself to, in ways to, that are important, even if we don't understand at this moment why he chooses to do it that way. All right? And, so, and, and hopefully at that point, some of the offense is rubbed off. And, and here's, here's probably the thing that will be helpful, and this is what helps me. And I, and I say this not, not just from the gendered standpoint, but when I read things in the Bible about slavery and, uh, and different things, right, understand that's probably where it touches me the most, right? At that point, I think it's very important for us to remember what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for instruction, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, which includes all of you ladies, that term man, may be competent and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? So the Bible does not always contain what we would identify today as gender-inclusive language, but it does not leave anybody out that God intends to speak to. It was written at a different time, and, and I think we need to av avoid the temptation of some, which is to say, and I, I won't read it this morning, but it's amazing if you go back and you look, there's this Bible that came out in 2009, that, you know, the sort of gender-inclusive language Bible or whatever it was, and uh, in that, you, you can just see people saying, I don't even know how Christians can use this Bible as foundational to their lives if it's inherently sexist and patriarchal. And that's some people's opinion of the Bible. It's inherently sexist and patriarchal. They see it as the byproduct or the end product of men who held power and just decided to say things in a way that appealed to men. The other option that I am and that we as pastors are encouraging you to believe is what the Bible says about itself. That every single word, all scripture is breathed out by God. The very God who created you and loves you regardless of your gender, all right? And it takes courage to believe that against the current of, of today's culture. But not only, not only does, does God and John use the picture here of a lady to describe the church, and not only should we not be so quickly offended by that or by any other gendered language, look at the word right before lady. The adjective used to describe the church is what? Now here we go. Say that word one more time, everybody. Elect, the elect lady. 
Now, we do not have time this morning to go through the entire doctrine of election and why you should all not only believe it, but love it. Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say you should believe the doctrine of election as you currently understand it in your own mind. I have no idea what that is. I have no idea what you're thinking when you hear that term or that phrase. And I, I am not in a position to be able to endorse whatever you have in mind and whatever your history has brought you to believe about this. But I will confidently make the statement as one of your pastors, you should believe and love the truth of election as it is taught in the Bible. You should. And here's why. Right, I'm going to do some rapid fire scripture here. You with me? You've been, you've, been, you've been kind of just watching for a bit, but now get your Bibles out if you have them. We'll try our best to, to run through here some of these on the screen. I'm going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or rather chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Now watch, watch what it says here. Paul says, therefore, we know brothers, and that brothers includes all of the ladies in the room who believe in Jesus. We know, the, the Greek word is adelphoi, literally, it, it includes men and women in the term. For we know brothers loved by God, that he has what, everybody? You see that? It's not just human beings who make choices, God makes choices as well, Right? And what we see here is that those who are beloved by God, we know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and with full conviction. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God, everybody, chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Did you know that the Bible literally, word for word, says God chose people to be saved? If you didn't know it before this morning, you, you know it now. It is there in your Bibles. We did not have time to write this in your Bibles while you were reading the screen. It is there in your Bibles as well. God chose you to be saved. So when someone asks me, does God choose people to be saved? I say, absolutely. Well, why do you believe that? And I take them to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I say, because it, it says it word for word. So as one who believes that the scriptures, all scripture is breathed out by God, and as one who trusts that God always tells the truth, my conclusion is that God chooses people to be saved. Now, how? Through particular means. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the church. Or, so, I'm so sorry, a Catholic background. Through belief in the truth. <laughs> through belief in the truth. I was confirmed as a Catholic when I was 13. Those things, they, they, they don't come out easily. <laughs> through belief in the truth. And then the next verse says, and to this he called you, right? To this he called you through our what? Gospel. Now, how many of you believe that God called people to salvation through the gospel? But you, you know what's interesting is that half of the people who would say 
I believe that God called people to salvation through the gospel would say they don't believe in the doctrine of election when it is literally in the verse right before that. Literally. You just saw it. Literally in the verse right before it. And I want to suggest to you that has, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we read in the Bible and everything to do about how we are emotionally responding to other conversations. Right? I mean, all of you who read were able to see that both of these things are stated as truths equally in the Scripture. They are literally one verse on top of the other. God chose people to be saved, and he called them to this through the gospel. How do you say you believe one but not the other? Upon what grounds? Right, so, so here's what I would say as a challenge, looking ahead to the new year. Whatever you have believed about things like election, I, I want, Lord, in fact, I'm praying right now, Holy Spirit, separate the truth as you give it to us in the Bible from whatever context of conversations we, we have had that keep us from being able to embrace and love the truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen or oh my, right? <laughs> one of the two. Now again, there are a million questions you can and should ask at that point. Here's part of the good news too. We're actually doing a series of, of classes called RH Equip. One of them, at some point, I forget where on the schedule this is, one of them will help us to understand this more deeply. So anyone who's curious about that, when that comes up, you'll want to register for that class because I think it's only open to the first 25 people. All right, so leave that there. You guys can fight over it or, or love one another, as the Bible says, and, and maybe let someone else take the class. Who knows? But do you see how John very quickly and easily says, elect lady, and, and again, I, these two things have caused offense historically for Christians. I'm saying as a pastor here at, at Redemption Hill Church, I am hopeful that no one who is a member of this church will be offended by either one of those things, by the doctrine of election or by gendered language in the Bible. Is that, is that fair to say? Okay, all right. Well, anyway, that's, that's my prayer. That's my prayer. Wherever we are in that God is patient with us, we can be patient with each other. That is, that is my prayer. All right, keep walking through this text with me back in 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, or whom I truly and sincerely love. Now, here's what I want you to notice. John is actually going to tell us why he loves the church. And his response will not be in verse 2. It will not be because I find these Christians to always be so wonderful and easy to get along with. He, he, he will not say that. He says, I love the church to the elect lady whom I love in truth. Verse 2, because what? Because of the truth that lives or abides in us. That, do, you, do you see that? That far from, you, you, ever, you ever hear people say, well, this church is big on truth but, but not on love? Or this church is big on love but not so much on truth? You ever hear that? As if the two are, are completely separated? John actually says here, he loves the truth, or rather loves the church because of the truth that is in him. Do you see that? It is, it is the truth that causes the love. Read it again with me very slowly so you can see this. Verse 1, 
to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Now, just take out that next phrase, which is grammatically fine to get the connection. Whom I love in truth because of the truth that abides in us. The truth that the Bible is speaking about here is not a simple head knowledge. I agree with certain facts. The Bible teaches election. I agree with that. That's not what it's talking about. This truth here is a kind of truth that has made that 18-inch that journey from here to here. Most difficult journey, we're told, is for, is for truth to get from here to here. Or from here to here. Right? I've actually seen some challenges with that one as well. Does that make sense? But here, the truth is what is causing the love. And this truth is personal. And by that, I, I do not mean, I'll show you in a moment, I don't mean subjective and private as in like, I can just make up whatever I think is true for myself. That's pretty popular today now too, isn't it? People really believe today, if you listen to people, there's a lot of talk about always speak your truth and I'm always going to speak my truth. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, I don't know, I don't know if, if that my and that your belongs in front of that word truth you keep using. And I understand what people are saying, right, when, when they say that. And I'd have to ask them, well, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say that? And then depending on what they say as they respond, I'll know whether or not I agree or disagree. But the truth, the truth is not something that, that you and I can simply determine or make up just by saying this is what I want it to be. The truth is exactly that. It is the truth. The truth. And there are some things that you and I can only discover. We can't determine them. All right? I could be specific about some of these things, but I think I've offended you enough this morning. We'll wait for some of that. There, there are some things, no matter what people are telling you today, there are some things which are true no matter what I think about it, no matter what you think about it, and they will always be true no matter what we think about it. And we are not in a place, God has not given it to us to determine whether or not it's true. We can simply discover whether or not it's true. Like literally, for you to believe that you can determine everything that's true simply because you want it to be true, you would have to believe that you're God in order to do that. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that none of us in the room is God. It reminds me of that, that uh, there, there's this history class in, in a high school somewhere, and the teacher was talking about Napoleon. They were doing a section there on France, and, and he starts to speak about Napoleon, and, and some kid in the second row gets up and says, no, 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 that's not true. And the teacher's like, I'm pretty sure it's true. I have an advanced degree in this stuff. What you, but he, he played along and said, well, well why, why isn't that true? Well, because I'm Napoleon, the kid said. You're Napoleon. So the teacher continues to play along says, and says, and how do you know that you're Napoleon? And the kid said, well, God told me. And then someone in the back row stands up and says, I did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you, no one in that classroom or in this gymnasium this morning is God, right? You would literally have to believe you're God in order to think that you can just make up truth as we go. That's not how this works. The truth is 
in us because God puts truth in them. When I say it's personal, he is putting the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit of truth, John chapter 14 says. The Spirit of truth causes this love for the church and causes us to remember at all times, man, we cannot make truth up for ourselves. We cannot determine it. I'm going to say it five times. We can simply discover it. But what a privilege God has given to us to be able to discover truth, to embrace it, and to allow it to shape our lives. What a wonderful thing. That's the side of history I want to be on. I want to be on the side of history with people who remember that it's God's prerogative in place to determine truth and ours to discover it. That's where I want to land. All right? I'm not so concerned about being on what others think is the right side of history. Because I'm pretty sure, again, if this Bible is right, and I believe it is, that the only way to be on the right side of history is to be on the right side of Jesus Christ and God's word. I'm pretty sure when it's all said and done, that's how we're going to know who's on the right side of history. So with all due respect to my contemporaries who are like me just trying to figure this stuff out, I'm going to stick with the Bible on this one. And I, I, I encourage you to take the same approach. This thing has never failed those who believe. It won't fail you. It won't fail your children. Stick with God and what he has revealed in his word. John loves because of the truth that is in him and because of the truth that is in us if we believe. And then the next phrase says, this truth will be with us for how long, everybody? This truth will be with us for how long, everybody? You and I, no matter what other people say, will never live in a post-truth world. We will never live in a post-truth America because the truth will be with us forever, always. See, it only took a little half a verse of the Bible to sort of put some perspective on all that stuff you keep hearing, right? I mean, some of you walk around with hot sauce because you might happen upon a meal that needs a little bit of hot sauce, right? You just carry it with you at all times. Look, I am telling you, Carry this Bible, carry this word with you at all times. Man, you, you hear ideas out there that just aren't right. Man, you just need to sprinkle a little Bible on that thing. No, 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 no. I hear what you're saying about post-truth because, you know, you, you believe that stuff. You think that because of the, the person who's currently in the Oval Office, you know, have you, as some of you heard, we currently have a president who oftentimes or, or at least occasionally tells lies. And, and the way people describe this in the news, I, I, mean, it's, uh, it, I don't know what's more entertaining, watching football games or watching the news. It, this is an unprecedented era. We've got a president who tells lies. We have, men in, hey, we have men in power who often or occasionally don't tell the truth. This has never happened before. I mean, who believes that? Why do people believe that stuff? How is that unprecedented? Why do people want you to believe that? Oh, we live in a post-truth era. No, we don't. Well, how do you know that? Because God told me. Only this time I'm right. God told me that the truth will be with us forever. So I don't know what world you've made up in your mind, but, but the truth is still here. Let me help you see it. Now, are, you, are any of you sick and tired of what goes on in the news like I am? 
Any of you? Am I talking to anybody in here? I mean, I mean, I, I am tired of people trying to divide the world over what people think about Donald Trump. If you are a believer, no, the world is divided based on what people believe about Jesus Christ. Now that, that is my message. That is my perspective. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from heaven and split time, died on a cross for sinners like me, had the, had the kindness, that means I'm supposed to be finished, had the kindness to offer verse 3, 2 John verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace to people like me who ignored him at every turn in my life until I was 20 years old by the grace of God. And you want me to focus all my time and attention on a 70-year-old man with an orange tan? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I'm 42 years old. I don't have that much longer. I can't waste the second half of my life worrying about what he does all the time. I'm just going to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm called to pray for that man. And everybody else who will take his place. And you ask me why I don't align myself permanently with any of these groups. Because I'm a Christian. That's why. And I'm trying to run hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? When you do that, there's just, you don't have as much time to align yourself with all these other groups. I'm a, I'm a Christian, I don't know, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, that's about it. <laughs> Zing, I have to, you know. We all have our flaws, that's correct. That's correct. And I'm, I'm not even going to refute that, man. It must be, it must be a flaw. But you know, thanks be to God, you know what? There's grace, mercy, and peace coming my way. Despite the fact that I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, let's get to verse 3 and really wrap this thing up here. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, but where will we find that? Ah, it will be from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in, in truth and love. You are not going to find this grace, mercy, and peace apart from truth and love. You will find it in, contained within truth and love. And, and specifically the truth about the love we're talking about. The love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. He sent his son. Jesus lived the life that you and I are unable to live because we're so messed up. You wonder why you yell at your wife so much when nobody else knows? Why you dishonor your husband so much when you think you can get away with it? Why you, you, you relate to your children in ways like I do where I've just, you know, I'm losing control of what's going on. And the only way for me to get it back is to be the biggest, scariest person in the room. You know why we act like that? Because we're all infected with this spiritual virus known as sin. You say, well, it wasn't my fault. Well, it's, it's hardly ever your fault when you catch a virus. I'm not sitting here trying to blame you for it. I'm just telling you it's true. You have it. You have sin. And there is only one way for that thing to be taken out of your life. There is but one antidote, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from heaven, and he prayed before he went to that cross. The Lord, if, if there's any other way, if it's possible that this cup of suffering would pass from me, if it's possible, and you know the conclusion, he went to the cross anyway. 
it is the only way for our sin to be addressed. No one else can do it. No religion can do it. I don't, I don't care if you're, the religion you check off on that survey is Christianity. You can't just practice Christian principles and get rid of sin. I mean, some things are such a stain, you can't get them out with the exact right thing. I mean, you get sprayed by a skunk. Some of you know this personally. I do not, praise be to God. But, but you, you, you understand, you get sprayed by a skunk. There's only one way to get that thing out. Or so I'm told. What would you, what would you try to go find real quick? Ketchup, tomato juice, something like that, right? It, that can suck that thing out and remove it from you. The only thing that can take sin out of a human being is the blood of Christ. We must be washed in it. This is why he went to the cross. He was not mistaken. We need him. You need him. And he offered up that perfect life on the cross for us who would believe that our sins might be forgiven. He had no sin of his own. There was a transaction happening between Jesus and our Heavenly Father. God received Jesus' blood, His life, as payment for us. And now everyone, everyone who turns to Jesus in faith will be forgiven. You will know the mercy that we see here in verse 3. This truth I am telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this truth will be your way to this mercy so that you do not get the punishment you deserve but that Jesus took for you. It is your ticket to this grace so that you can receive the favor of God and the righteousness that God demands from you and from me if he is going to accept us. A righteousness and a gift you can never earn or deserve. Mercy he takes from you and per protects you from what you do deserve. Grace he gives you what you do not deserve. And it is also your access. This truth, belief in this truth, is access to your peace. And that is a relational word, a relationship. Things are now right between you and God again. You're put back together. There's peace between you. This grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ the Father's Son. But it is only found in the truth. It's precisely about this love that God showed when Jesus died for us on the cross. And he did not stay there. You know that we can trust Jesus, and we know that this is true because Jesus got back up three days later. He proved beyond all doubt that we can trust every word he's ever spoken, every promise he's ever made, and one of those promises is, you put your trust in me, you will be forgiven of everything. Past, present, and future, you will be accepted by God eternally. You will know joy and eternal life with Him. It will never end. The truth will be with us forever, and you, by God's grace, through belief in this truth, will be with Him forever in perfect joy and peace if you believe. I hold out to you that opportunity this morning. I hold out to you that opportunity this morning to grab hold with your soul, grab hold of this message, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Know the grace, mercy, and peace that is ours only through him. Let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you. We thank you that we have the privilege of seeing truth revealed to us in your word 
and especially truth about you and about your son Jesus, what he did for us, what it means for us, how we ought to respond. Lord, I pray that as you walk us through the word here together on Sunday mornings, you'll continue to help us balance or to display in equal proportions the truth and the love that you talk about here. I pray that as people come into this place, it would, it would seem like a safe place for them, no matter where they find themselves in their current beliefs. Help them to know that we're here and that we want the discussion of what we believe in this environment. We want this to be not the end of a conversation with them, but, but the beginning. And we pray that we would conduct ourselves in a manner or that would be pleasing to you and that would give evidence that we honestly believe your word. We believe that the truth will be with us here forever. We believe that we are now in Christ because you have chosen us to be saved through belief in the truth and through the sanctifying work of your spirit. And, and Lord, we trust that grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from you in this truth and love. Now, please, Lord, help us. Help us now as we move toward celebrating all of this truth in the Lord's Supper. Help us to do so in a manner, again, that is worthy of you as we consider our own souls before you. Help us to do this with great gratitude. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.